Throughout this podcast, I will be interviewing people across different fields and learning about the difficult discussions that they have within their careers, along with the tools that they use to manage those conversations. The end goal is to deduct common themes and skills among different individuals that can be applied to the complex conversations one has on a daily basis. Martin Luther King once said that the church too often is a thermostat. It just registers the cultural mores of the people, the temperature in the room around them. They, they need to become a thermostat and set the moral temperature and set the moral climate. My name is Annabelle Walter, and this is Difficult Discussions, a podcast dedicated to finding a method to navigating difficult conversations. In this episode, I continue my conversation with Reverend Chuck Rush as we discuss further some of the specific controversies and dilemmas he faces as a reverend and how he navigates conversations surrounding those topics. Most of the church, like at the moment, operates pretty much like what you're seeing in Russia and Ukraine, all right? Two countries who are at war, who share the same, not only the same religion, but the same basic (laughs) Eastern Orthodox approach to faith. I mean, it's like identical over 1,500, 1,700 years, right? But it's just a source of incredible division because the only way that they can look at it is their religion supports their tribe and the other guy's religion supports his tribe. And it's, it's the same phenomenon, unfortunately, when you go to Israel and you talk to the Palestinians and, the, and then you talk to the Jews and you listen to the way that they use religion as a Christian and you're like, oh man, you know, it's just as a cudgel, never as a bridge of reconciliation. I mean, I don't say never, but almost never. You know, there's a few people out there, but not nearly enough. And I, I was always been a little bit disappointed by that because I'm like, really, <laughs> I don't know, you know, so. So you were talking about Roe v. Wade and the politicization of all these issues and saying how, you know, you've really tried to create more spaces to talk about these issues within your congregation. Um, how have you seen the values um, and the practices of the church sort of shift as the social climate does and as new issues sort of reemerge or come to light? Yeah, that's the thing, right? I mean, now that I'm as old as I am, um, yeah, so dramatic. It's just so dramatic to me. We first embraced women. And, you know, even when I was... When I was in, uh, even when I went to college, I was Wake Forest was three to one men to women, and we weren't. We were pretty typical. Seminary class, we had zero women. PhD, we had one, and she was at the edge, you know, of the. Not really in a discipline that's like in the center of the academic thing, and most of my career. I'm surrounded by women in ministry now, you know, because that's most, I would say they're probably 50% of the pastors now. So this been a huge shift. Um, it started off with, you know, believe it or not, there was a day and time in the sixties when we didn't accept divorce. And now people, it's not that they accept divorce, but every single denomination, just, it's not a big issue. There was a time when, Almost no churches accepted gay people. And 
really we're at the cusp right now where I, I just saw this article, you know, I was saying earlier in the nineties, we became, and that set us in this vector, but today 71% of our country accepts gay families. I mean, that's a phenomenal statistic. It really is. Would you consider that in 1995, the same number was 21, 21%. Even president Obama was against gay marriage when he was president of the United States. I mean, Clinton, same thing. I mean, this was the way that it was back in. And I just think that you see all of those changes taking place. And eventually the church comes around. So I, I don't know. I have watched it change quite a bit. And, and then that's why I think it's important for us to position ourselves for the future instead of thinking about what is, you know, Martin Luther King once said that the church too often is a thermostat. It just registers the cultural mores of the people, the temperature in the room around them. They, they need to become a thermostat and set the moral temperature and set the moral climate. And that, you know, that was what his take on the early church when you saw them, you know, they were people that were not afraid. And I think there's, there's something to be said for that. We've never really achieved that quality where we're making a difference because of um, that. He, he's probably, it's a, it's a good critique. And that kind of drove me all, all along and it still does, just hoping to at least catch up and not be behind. Yeah, it's like you were saying before, you want to be the headlights, not the taillights. Um, but on that note, you know, do you receive pushback um, from, you know, people in the congregation who may have a more conservative viewpoint um, or who disagree with how the church is sort of evolving? Um, and, you know, what kind of pushback do you sort of receive, if any? Yeah, I used to. And it was more, um, you know, that I... I was going to say I have a lot. I've had a, I have a lot of Wall Street congregants, and I have a lot of Wall Street friends that put that do push back, but it's not in a parting ways pushback. It's more. It's they almost like it's it's more like they almost expect the, the, the liberal response from me at this point because they've known me for so long, and so but. Um, apart from that, I don't really get a whole lot of, um, and part, partly is because I don't get as much pushback because we live in metropolitan New York. And so the multicultural world is like immediately upon all of us. And it's just, although it's, it's interesting because as you go around the country, it's everywhere now too. Um, so I don't know. Um, and then my next question is, how do you think that sort of miscommunication and unproductive conversations in the past have impacted how society regards church and religion in general today? I do think that we, in some sense, shot ourselves in the foot in the past because Christianity made something of a fateful decision early on in its history which it repeated in many generations afterwards. And that was that they decided to make orthodoxy so important. And so when they started to defining what religion was really all about, they made belief prior. And 
I wish that they had made action prior. And I think if you had framed the questions from the very beginning on how is it that you become loving? How is it that you become forgiving? How is it that you make peace? How is it that you develop reconciliation? I think you'd have a deeper interest in religion today than if you begin with a belief system, uh, which is, you know, what is Jesus? What is his authority? What is the afterlife? Oh, my goodness. All these speculative questions about which we know very little. And in Jesus doesn't say very much about it, any either any of this either himself even. It, but it's in making that, I would say, miscommunication on our part, because what we started, to, if you start the conversation off on the wrong, with the wrong orientation, you're going to get bad results. And this is what's happened. This has been our, our tragic history. The biggest problem that religion faces immediately um, Christianity, certainly in America and in Europe, it's very similar, is that people don't believe it partly because the belief system itself is from an outdated time. And you can't go back and reclaim that old worldview in the world we have to live in. So... This is the biggest problem that religion has created for itself, really. But I don't know how they get out of it. I've. It's pretty hard to unspool the ball of yarn at this point. So. Yeah, I'm hearing that if, you know, perhaps it started off being a bit more inclusive of different perspectives and different beliefs and been more accepting of all those who are sort of goal oriented in the sense of, you know, the morals they want to uphold, then perhaps religion would be more, um, people would be more passionate and welcoming of religion even now. I think that's probably true. Sort of on that note, how do you, um, I know we had talked a little bit about this at Kemp Place, but how do you try and manage the balance between um, progress and you know reflecting the values of society and then upholding tradition and upholding the values of the church yeah um i think that the easiest way for me to answer that question that's really a hard one to answer um is right now you know christianity has the the best religious holiday in in history certainly the history of religions, but really I think in the history period, Christmas. I mean, that is like the most incredible holiday. If, you, if, if, if it hadn't been given to us, it would have to have to be invented, right? I mean, and everywhere you go, even in Japan, people want to, they want to celebrate Christmas because they just want that. And it's not really the material thing. Although in our culture, it's this has become like, so you ask me, how do you, I use the tradition to critique our culture now, you know, around things like the holidays. Like, don't forget that at the holidays, it's about, it's not about, the, you know, being able to go to Turks and Caicos on vacation. Although, great, Turks and Caicos is a wonderful vacation. I mean, you know, I don't want to sound like that. It, but it's about the, re, the relationships. It's about the quality of your ability to gift other people and make surprise in their life 
uh, a, a reality. You know, so I have this tradition that we do at the church. It's gotten bigger over the past few years, and I think it's partly because people want more of this in their life. So the I, I collect money during the month of December, and then we give it away on Christmas Eve. And I have the people in town um, that work with poor people that know families that are really good need. We can vet them. And on Christmas Eve, I'm able to go with a couple other people. I used to take people with because it's so much fun. Show up someone's house because they kind of have they've been sort of told that, you know, I may be stopping by or something like that. But I kind of have a carte blanche because it's one night out of the year, you know, put my clerical collar on and come as the priest, you know, and then people let you in the front door. They're always like, who the hell is it? And give them an unsolicited hunk of dough. And like we started off, we used to do this, like we had a service at children's service at five o'clock. So we take the money from that plate and I gave it like in small bills, like the way that poor people actually spend it. You know, I didn't like bother to, get it in crisp bills that I could fit into the, I wadded that thing in a, in the envelope a little bit. And there was something wonderful about that big hunky sweat of cash. And you just hand it to people and you say, Merry Christmas, God bless you. And you walk away and you've changed their life. And one year I got to, I got to walk away and I couldn't help myself. I just wanted to see, look back in and I, because it's such an intimate moment. You don't want to ever actually impose upon other people. It's why I don't really stay around and, you know, there's nothing to say after you give it to me, just walk away. But just to see the expression and the humanity in, of this couple about this prospect of something, they got enough money to get them over the hump that they were immediately facing. It's going to open up the next chapter for them in a big way. And when you can do that for other people and you can bless them like that, that's the point of the season. And that's what, so I take the tradition, you know, in this case, like, yeah, holidays are great, but it's not about the gift wrap Mercedes. It's, it's about blessing people around you. And don't forget to, don't forget that, you know? And I think that's the, that's when you, the, the tradition itself is actually fairly helpful because um, it really, at the, at the bottom line, I mean, the reason that Jesus is beguiling is because that basic teaching about helping other people out that are in need and not walking people by and engaging them is, um, it's compelling. So. Yeah, I think it's like you were saying, like, when you're considering how to balance tradition and progress, we can honor tradition by honoring sort of the goal of those traditions, honoring the integrity of it and what, you know, what you want to make other people feel and how you want to feel when you give that gift, looking at sort of, you know, what you're trying to do in the community you're trying to build. Yeah. And I would still say also the beauty of, of worship occasionally when it comes together, um, there's this, there's a place for the aesthetic in life. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and sort of on that note, how do you create a safe space where people feel comfortable talking about their personal beliefs and bringing up the questions they have? I don't know. You know, that's a that's a really it's uh, a million dollar question. And that's what our church identity really is. Mm -hmm. So whatever it is, the answers I've been able to do it, even though I can't 
answer that question for you. Mm -hmm. I have people all the time, it's probably 70% of the congregation is ex-Catholic. They're not ex-Catholic because they don't want to sound like they don't really leave the church. They, they, mm -hmm. You know, they, they just couldn't stay anymore. They, just had a kid, they were just growing in a different direction, in a direction where they wanted to be heard. They didn't want to be told. Mm -hmm. wanted to be heard and so whatever it was that we created um that's what we do that i don't know but i i'm glad yes thanks for asking that question this makes me feel like when i think about it well maybe we've actually done something significant 